There is a, there's a couple of songs that we teach to little kids that have some kind of wisdom in them that I think we could use this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to sing with me because I don't do solos well. Um, but the first one is about happiness. And it goes, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. All right. So that was really fun. And I can tell all of those of you that have helped out with children's ministry, because when you got to face, you pointed at your, your smile, right? Because you have to give the instruction, tell your face. Um, and it's funny that we do that with kids and we don't do it with adults because there's a lot of times on, on Sunday mornings in here, we're all in here praising the King of Kings and Lord of Lords um, with a really grumpy face on. And so sometimes when you come to church and you're worshiping God, if you're happy and you know it, you should tell your face. Uh, but there's another song that's, that's a little bit different, it's kind of similar in some ways, uh, and it goes... Uh, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Okay, stop right there. So if we take these two songs, we'll get there. Just slow down. If you take these songs, the wisdom is there that happiness shows up on your face. It is an outside expression that is a result of outside things that are happening in your life. But joy exists where? Deep down in the heart. Joy is this kind of foundational, internal, deeply rooted thing that takes, takes root in our heart. Now, the, the joy is a foundation upon which happiness so often exists, right? So that when we have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, what's the, the, the chorus is, uh, I just went blank. Happy, so very happy, because I've got the joy, joy, joy in my heart. So these songs give us this kind of deep wisdom, and we hide it in the hearts and minds of children, and we often forget it as adults. That joy is intended to be a deeply rooted faith foundation in our hearts that gives us the place from which we can express happiness based on external circumstances. And so we're going to be talking about that today because one of the great claims of the Christian faith is that because Jesus was born and lived a life where he died on the cross and came back from the grave and saved us from our sins, that we should be joy-filled people. Now, does that mean you have to be happy all the time? No, because happiness is a response to external things, and life might stink sometimes. Grief is still a good thing that brings healing when sadness and hurt comes into our life. But you can be grieving while still having a foundation of joy underneath that. And so when we think about this idea of joy and happiness, I think we need to remember in English today, joy and happiness are often interchangeable. They're kind of synonyms, and you can just swap one for the other. But in the Bible, they're, they're different. They function differently. Uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, but not happiness. Uh, one of the things that we have as a response to the gospel is joy. And it, it is deeply embedded in us. And I think the best way to kind of think about biblical joy is to think it's not just happiness that's like taken deeper roots. It's more than this. 
when you think about joy and happiness in Scripture, uh, you need to think about kind of a spectrum, right? So for happiness, you have sadness on this end of the spectrum. I'm sad. Bad things have happened to me lately. But if things get better, I'm going to have happiness. Happiness is, is in opposition to sadness in your life. Where if you turn up uh, the, the inputs and the outputs of happiness, you turn down the inputs and outputs of sadness. Those happen in opposition to each other. They're different forces pulling you in different ways. Now, joy, on the other hand, has at this end of the spectrum, not sadness. In the Bible, sadness is not the opposite of the joy. Anxiety and faithlessness are. It's this worry, it's this, I'm probably messing with the camera guys by walking all over up here, but that's okay. It's this anxiety, it's this worry, it's this, this faith symptom that if you struggle with joy, you're going to be questioning things in life. You're going to be questioning God, you're going to be worried, you're going to be anxious. But on the other hand, if you have an overwhelming trust and faith in God, what results from that is this overwhelming uh, deeply rooted joy. And so the Bible gives us this joy as, as a, a foundation of faith upon which we build all these other parts of the life of faith. Uh, author Kay Warren wrote a book called Choose Joy. And in this book, she defines joy uh, this way. She says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. You can do all of that without having to be exuberant, without having to be happy, without having to do these things because it is a settled and a resolved and a determined choice to have joy in your life as an alternative to having anxiety and faithlessness in your life. And the Bible tells us that, that joy isn't just something that we can create ourselves, we can choose it, we can work towards it, but it is one of the fruit that the Spirit gives us. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, that if we are people who have become Christians and now have God's Spirit living in us and working to transform us, that we can become people who joy is increasing in our life as a result of the work of the Spirit in our heart and in our bodies. What makes this interesting is that for those who have this joy that the Spirit is producing in them, you should see evidence of it coming out in their life. This kind of joy that, that reduces anxiety and increases the potential for happiness and gratitude and thanksgiving should result in a change in your demeanor. And so what I think it tells us is that it's a problem when we have so many Christians in the world today who have what we might call resting grouch face, okay? Where every time you encounter them, you kind of go, man, you're just grumpy. You've, did God create you and make you in his image? Yep. Did Jesus come to this world and die on the cross to save you from your sins? Yep. Does the Spirit work in you to produce joy and all these other things? Yep. Man, tell your face sometime. Because <laughs> it feels like 
you've got lots of complaints and you've got lots of grumpiness things and you've got lots of problems and you just dwell on those all the time and you've got resting grouch face. And it doesn't feel like if you have this joy as deeply rooted in your life as God says you should, that you should be grumpy all the time. And so as a result of that, we can watch Sesame Street and look at Oscar the Grouch and question whether the Spirit of God is really in him. He's grouchy and grumpy all the time. And if God were in Oscar's life, we would expect him to start having a foundation of joy upon which happiness and gratitude begin to exude and change his demeanor and his response to the things going on in his world. We would expect the same for Christians as well, that they would become transformed people. What we see is that uh, his and others resting grouch face reveals on the outside what exists deep on the inside. The symptoms of joy are not evident, which makes you question the lack of the cause. So what do we do? What do we do if we want to become people who are better at this, who are creating room and creating the potential for the Spirit to begin bringing more joy into our lives? Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, the passage that was read earlier, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and they've got some, some grumpy people in Philippi. They've started arguing with each other, and they've started bickering with each other, and they've started taking sides on these little arguments and these bickerings that are there. And Paul's writing to them that they would stop being grumpy and divisive and become joy-filled people that are held together by the unity of the Spirit. Right. And he's going to give them some instructions on how to do that. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He, he says, listen, I'll tell you what gives me joy. Paul, who's a, a missionary who's gone around and he's converted people and he's been working with churches and he's been turning the churches into disciple-making communities. He says, you know what gives me joy? What gives me a confidence in what God is up to in the world? It's when the people who I've told about Jesus, when you, the members of the church in Philippi, are steadfast, when you stand firm in the faith, when you're faithful, it gives me joy. You are my joy and my, uh, my crown. You're the reward for the work that I do. When you do what God wants you to do, that's all the blessing and thanks that I need, he tells them. And then he pleads with Euodia and he pleads with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. It's not the first time that Paul has used that phrase, same mind. He, he mentioned it in Philippians 2, just a couple pages before. And as this letter was being read, uh, this would have been poignant for him to bring up the same mindedness so quickly after having mentioned it before. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he says to Yodiki and Syntyche, he says, listen, I need you to have the same mindset as Jesus. And what he wants them to hear is the echo of that verse 
coming forward into their problem. And what Paul wants for us to do in our lives where we've got conflict with people and we get grumpy with people is for us to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who put the interest of others above his own, who emptied himself and became obedient to the cross, who became someone who put, put everything that God desired ahead of everything that, that he desired. So Paul says, you do that too. And Paul believes that if these, these women in Philippi can do that, that it's going to start transforming their relationship. That because Jesus came down and is an example of this, that we then can begin living this way as well. And that it gives us this different way of living. He says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, these women are co-workers with me. They're, they're going to be in eternity, which also reminds us, they're going to get along then. Let's start working on getting along now. Right. Why wait until we, we're in heaven and in eternity and we're all getting along? If we're God's people now, let's bring heaven into this moment and get along today. So how do we do it? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The noun is joy, the verb is rejoice. He says, live joy. Live joy. Be joy-filled. Rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. And the teaching here is so important. And this is a command that God gives us through Paul in his letter to Philippi. Rejoice is an instruction given to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. It's not wisdom. It's not guidance. And it's so important that he says it twice. Rejoice. I, let me say it again. Rejoice. Be filled with joy. If you can do this, it's going to start solving your grumpy problems. It's going to start solving your anxiety and your worry and division. It's going to start resolving the struggles you're having with faith. It's going to start transforming you to be more like the mindset of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we want to kind of say, but Paul, it's kind of hard. This world's not always great. We've got struggles. We've got sufferings. We've got things that are, this world seems broken and dark some days. There's some days, God, that, that it's hard to have joy. But remember that unlike happiness, which has as the opposite sadness, joy is a response to anxiety and faithlessness. And so joy can exist in all circumstances. And so Paul continues to describe how it is that we go about being people who are characterized by joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the result of doing that is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know if any of you have ever had um, people that you were in charge of 
maybe kids, maybe employees, uh, maybe just people that are working with you in some kind of a project or a team, and, and you go to give them uh, an assignment. And you go say, hey, I need you to do this. Can you be in charge of it? Can you make sure it gets done? And they say, yep, you got it. I'm on it. Don't worry about it. It's as good as done. Now, one of two things happens as soon as they say that. You are either the next day going to call them and say, hey, quick question. Did you do the thing that I asked you to do yesterday? I, I've been, it's still on my mind. I was just thinking about it, just wanted to make sure it got done. It's kind of bothering me uh, as something out there that may not have been finished. And they're going to tell you they either did or didn't do it. Or they're going to say, don't worry about it, consider it done. And you're going to go, good, check mark, that's off my list. It's as good as taken care of. You know who I, I mean, you can, you can right now kind of go through your life and sort everyone into one of those two groups, right? The people that need to be followed up with and checked on because you're still worried it's not done. And the people who you kind of go, if they're on it, they're on it. I don't have to worry about it. Now, Paul tells us, in all things, you need to trust that the Lord is near. Yes, yes. And you need to give him in prayer and petition all the things that you're anxious about. And then you're going to get peace. Why? Because Paul's expectation is that you trust God enough that once you've given it to him, you go, check, God's got it. So what it tells us when we take things to God in prayer and then we kind of go to him again the next day and say, hey, God, I think you missed my call yesterday, left you a voicemail. Maybe it's still Maybe you haven't set up your voicemail. Maybe you haven't checked your email. I just want to make sure you got my prayer that I need this to be done on my time in the way that I want it to be taken care of. Um, Let me know when you get this. And it's taken care of the way I want it to be taken care of. What does it tell us when we remain anxious about things that we've handed over to God? It tells us that we don't trust him to get done what we've given to him. It means that we haven't given him what we've claimed to have laid at his feet. It means we go to God and say, God, can you take over and take control of this? By the way, I'm going to keep holding on to this and try and control this. Because I trust me to get this done more than I trust you. And so we miss the blessing of what God is offering us here. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and thanksgiving is so important. Thanksgiving is not just the meal we all had a couple weeks ago. It is a a reminder. It is a practice, and we're bad at it. We're bad at it. And what thanksgiving does is when we give something to God by prayer and petition and say, God, if you take care of this, and then he does, if we don't give him thanks for it, we forget that he did it. And when we're reminded of all the times he's, he's come through for us, when we're reminded with gratitude and thanksgiving that God's gotten me through it before, God's gotten me through worse things than this, we, we need more of this as a country. Right now, we look around at our circumstances and we say, this is the worst of times. Is it? No. We're, not at war, we're not in a world war right now. We're not in the, in the, you go look at the Great Depression, the things that our country has been through, the suffering that, that people have endured in this country. Why do we think that we're in the worst times? Because we forgot to be thankful that God got us through worse stuff before. And when you forget about the worst stuff that God's got us through before, you get selfish and you think this is the worst moment because it's me and it's right now. 
and you don't see past the, the sufferings that are you know, on your nose or your phone, right? But Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving trains us to remember God's got us through it. God is good. God is great. He's in control. And when I hand it over to him with prayer and petition, I can put a check mark by it because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has that taken care of. I can go back to doing what else he needs me to do. It's done. Is it going to be done on my timeline? Probably not. Is it going to be done exactly the way I want? Probably not. But am I smarter and wiser than God? Can we go with probably not? No. No. Not in any circumstance am I wiser than God. If I trust that, then I'm going to trust him once I've given it to him by prayer and petition, and I'm going to keep the thanksgiving so that I don't keep holding on to it like I need to be in control, because he's done it before. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, so that not only is the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, but the peace that passes understanding is there too. And when we say that it passes understanding, what I mean is it doesn't make sense. When I say that it, it, it transcends understanding, people can say, hey, there's a storm going on out here. How are you so calm right now? And I say, well, I've got a peace. They go, well, that peace doesn't make sense given the circumstances. And I go, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. How? I gave it over to someone that's bigger than me, wiser than me, stronger than me, that loves me, and I'm letting them take care of it. But what if it goes badly? They're in control. God's in control. God's got it. And I get this peace that transcends understanding. And it guards your hearts and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. And we might still go to Paul and say, yeah, but, but there just still seems so many things that are wrong in the world. There are so many problems in the world. And we focus on the problems, right? What we tend to do is, is to focus on everything that is wrong. Okay, Paul says, listen, I get that you do that, so here's the final instruction. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So what do we focus on? We focus on these things, things that are noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Focus on those. Dwell on them. Chase them. Is, if it's not those things, spend less time staring at it. Which includes, by the way, the news. It's not good news. This is good news. Your cable channel's not. So listen, if, you, if, you're, if you're scrolling your social media, ask yourself, you know, flick through one, one story. Was that pure? Nope. Was that wholesome? Nope. Was that noble? It, was, it might have been funny, but was it noble? No. How many stories are you going to flick through that fail to be pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy before you go, man, I might be focusing on the wrong thing. When you, when you pick your friends, are your friends admirable, 
lovely. And I don't mean on the outside. I mean, are they good? Are you surrounding yourselves people that when you talk to them and they listen to you and you listen to them and you're having these conversations that you are built up towards godliness or are they tearing you down? Because the, the people, the news, the images, the, the, all the stuff that we put in all the time drives whether we're going to be living in anxiety and faithlessness or on a foundation built on joy. But you have to choose which one you do. And what so many of us who have resting grouch face are choosing is to look at the world like this. I can't see you because all I keep in front of my face is my problems. And I've got things that, that I'm upset about. And here's the thing that we forget is when you see me walking up to you, and you're like, hey, I wonder how Kent's doing today. And you look at my face, and this is what you see. You think, oh, I don't want to talk to him. He's got problems. My He's got resting grouch face. Why? Because I haven't focused on the things that are of God. I haven't focused on the pure and the noble, that which is praiseworthy. If you will put this into practice... The God of peace will be with you. He'll be with you. He's going to bless you. But you have to choose it. You have to choose it. God will not force you to choose joy. If you want to choose anxiety, he'll let you. And when I see you in the hall with your problems in front of your face, I may get a phone call to go the other way. Because it's more fun to talk to people that have the peace and joy of God in their lives. They bring life to me and help me to focus on what is good and admirable. Now, I'm a minister. If you've got problems, you can come talk to me. They pay me to listen, okay? It's fine. I'm here for you, and we'll kind of talk through it. I don't mean you can't work through your problems. I don't mean that you don't have them. But God tells us, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, God knows what you need. You just need to quit worrying about it so much. He's in control. And it's easy to say, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Uh, several years ago, and I've told this story before, but I just, I've got to tell it again. Several years ago, uh, before I get into the story, you need to know I am a terrible, terrible passenger. Um, when the staff goes places, I drive. Not because they're not good drivers, they're great drivers. I'm a bad passenger. Uh, my wife is a very good driver. Um, she's, she's very good. She gets in very few wrecks, gets very few tickets. Um, but when I am a passenger, because I am bad at not being in control, I think I'm going to die all the time. <laughs> and there's sometimes we'll just be going somewhere short and we'll be halfway there. And she'll say, would you like me to pull over and to switch spots? And I'll say, we don't have to, but I could pay a lot more attention to what you're saying if we do. And we switch. Um, again, my problem, not hers. Uh, I start pumping that imaginary brake pedal that's not in the passenger side and holding on to the, you know, the little wimp stick up on the roof. And she goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. I just like how fast you're approaching the other vehicles and making sure your brakes work. This is a good way to do it. It's great. She's good. She doesn't hit them. My problem. Now, the real problem is not when I'm a passenger in a car, because I'm working on that and I'm repenting and I'm trying to grow. Um, the real problem is when I get on a plane. 
because I'm delusional enough that there's times when we start hitting turbulence that I start thinking, man, I feel completely out of control right now. Maybe I should go offer to help fly the plane. <laughs> do I think I'm a better driver than him? Rationally, I do not. But I don't like feeling out of control. And so I need to have control restored. And I'm pretty sure the only person on the plane that has it is in the cockpit. So that's where I should be. Just, it, it's just obvious to me in my heart, not to my brain, that that's where I should go. And so a couple years ago, I'm on a plane that gets some really bad turbulence. Um, and I'm, it's just me on my plane, my family's at home, and I start getting really anxious. I am not choosing to have a life that's built on a foundation of joy. I'm not giving this to God to be in control of. I'm not even giving it to the pilot. I am pretty sure that these wings are being bounced beyond the resistance of the bolts that are holding them on. Um, and I am getting very, very anxious uh, and as I'm anxious, I start trying to distract myself because my chest is starting to feel tight because we're bouncing on this plane so much. And I start being worried. I start being worried, not that the plane's going to crash. Uh, I'm okay with that, but I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about the people that I care about the most and what their life is going to be like without me. Because who's going to take care of my kids if I die? Who's going to, to make sure that they grow up and, and become people of faith and good people? And who's going to make sure that they have the values I want them to have? And, and, and I'm, I want to make sure I'm the one doing all of that. Who's going to do it if I die in this plane crash when the wings just bounce off? Who's going to take care of my family? Who's going to take care of the church? And I start worrying about this obsessively to the point that I'm physically feeling the effects of this anxiety. And I'm like, I've got to distract myself. I need an audiobook that, that has a story that I can get really into. So I get out my phone and I'm going through my audiobooks, and none of them are downloaded except for like two. And so the two that are downloaded uh, are on, um, on spirituality and spiritual formation. And so I, I'm like, well, I guess that'll have to do for now. And I push one of those, and it immediately jumps to a part of the book where it's talking about how anxiety is an indication that we think we're in control when we're not. And that that fear comes from a place of not trusting that God is big enough to take over and take control. Yeah. At which point, I realize that God is speaking to me directly through an audiobook. And I realize not only that I need to trust the pilot who has better skills to get us where we're going safely, but I need to trust God in every area of my life that I have started being anxious about and questioning in the five minutes since the plane started bouncing. I start having to admit to myself that one, I'm not in control of how my kids turn out. I'm not in control of all the things that I think I'm in control of that make me think that if I die, they can't be blessed without me. I, I'm not, I, I've bought into this lie that I love my kids and my family more than God does and that I can take care of them better than he can. And I start just going through the list of everything I was anxious about for the last five minutes, realizing that I'm over here calling in and checking on God every day going, hey, are you doing what I want in the way that I think it should be done? Because I'm in control and you're obviously not. Because I don't have the faith that leads to joy. So I'm holding on to all my anxieties because that helps me be in control because I'm under the delusion that I belong in the cockpit and that God doesn't.
And so I start repenting and relaxing and breathing, knowing that God's in control of my family. He can bless them and guide them with or without me. That God loves my family more than I do. That God knows what is good for my family more than I do. That my anxiety reveals a lack of faith. And so here's the thing. Here's, here's the message. We're all going through some kind of turbulence in our lives right now, right? And when you're going through turbulence, it's hard to find the happiness. But that shouldn't affect our deeply rooted joy. Because our joy is there because Jesus, God, came down from heaven and lived as a man. And he became obedient to God, teaching us how to do it with peace and with joy. And with all these things that help us overcome all of the turbulence that life throws at us. And we can get through the turbulence, not because we've got the skills to be in control and navigate it perfectly, but because we can, through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, give it to the one who does. And then trust him to fulfill his promises to us. Trust him. Why? Because he came and lived as one of us. He died on the cross to save us. And now, for those of us that have become his children, he dwells within us, and nothing else can change that. And so nothing else matters. He's got you. You're good. You're going to be okay in the turbulence because of the God who's in control. The message of Christmas, the message of Advent, the coming of Jesus, the message that we proclaim every week is that Jesus is in control, and because of that, you can have a life of joy and of peace and of love because God's in control. This morning, as we're here, if you need to respond to that good news, if you need to focus on that good news that is pure and praiseworthy, please come forward as we stand and sing together.